Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, The Heart of a Father. So good morning, everyone. So glad you could be with us for our special Father's Day celebration. As Marcy already alluded to, I want to welcome all the fathers, spiritual fathers, and future fathers to the service this morning. I'm going to share a short word this morning, and then we're going to have a baby dedication, our very first baby dedication, our own little Luna and Savu. Amen. Hallelujah. It'll be a first for me. Uh, here in this church, and a first for Faith Life Fellowship. So we're really looking forward to it. So I want to talk to you this morning about something that I call the heart of a father. The heart of a father. Partly because it's Father's Day, but also because fatherhood and the family are under attack today like never before. There are forces at work in our nation that seek to disrupt and destroy the nuclear family, which is by definition a family where children are raised by a father and a mother. And I want to be crystal clear about this before I go any further. It was God who instituted marriage, and it was God who designed it to be between a man and a woman. And it was His intention that children be raised by a father and a mother. Now, I know it doesn't always work out that way, and God's grace is there for those who find themselves in non-traditional families, but it is God's best for children to be raised by a father and a mother. Let me show you that in the Scriptures. If you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be reading verse 27 and 28. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and 28. I'll be reading in the New King James for most of the morning. I'll let you know if there's an exception. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There is no gender confusion with God. I'm just here to tell you. Verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. Essentially, God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to fill the world with families that will help you take dominion over planet earth. Isn't that cool sci-fi sounding? Then the devil got involved and he messed everything up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I've always wondered how that worked out. It just doesn't seem real adequate to me. Imagine sewing leaves together. How's that work? How's it even going to hold together? Anyway, I think about such things. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Amen. A couple of things I want you to see here. First of all, I want you to notice that in this passage, we see that God created man and woman, and then he took the initiative and began to pursue a relationship with them. He took the time. He made the effort. He came in the cool of day to spend some time with the children he had created, the ones he had brought into this world. Amen? Hallelujah. And we know that he came to spend time with them on a regular basis because Even after they were fallen, they knew the sound of his footsteps as he walked through the garden. They knew God was coming. Amen. God was passionate about his family. He was intentional and pursued a relationship with the children he had created, the ones that he had brought into this world. Amen. Earthly fathers should follow the lead of their heavenly father and pursue relationships with each and every one of your children. After all, you brought them into this world. You have a responsibility. And the first responsibility is to just hang with them, spend some time with them, get to know them, and have a relationship with them. Fathers, don't leave it all to the mother. You take the lead in forming relationships with your children. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, the other thing I want you to see, verse 8, it says that Adam and Eve, when they heard God coming, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. You know, when you mess up, when you sin, you don't need to run from the presence of God. You need to run to the presence of God. When your earthly children, fathers, when they make a mistake, when they flub up, they don't need to run from you. They need to run to you. Daddy, I messed up. Can you help me make it right? That's the way God is. And the reason he's like that is because he has a heart of a father. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 through 13. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me. (laughs) She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. This is the first passing of the buck in the history of mankind. (laughs) 
I got another slide. Think about this. Why does God ask Adam and Eve questions that he already knows the answers to? Where are you? Who told you were naked? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? What have you done? What's the answer? The answer is simple. He has the heart of a father and he wants to give them space to repent. He wants to work it out with them. He wants to help them out of their dilemma. All they have to do is come to him and be willing to repent. And he will do what he can to make the situation better. God's heart toward his family was not to condemn, but to restore. Earthly fathers, when your children make mistakes, don't hammer them. Don't bring the boom, but bring a compassionate heart and say, let's talk about what you did. Let's talk about why it's going to hurt you in the long run. Why we're not trying to keep you from having fun. We're trying to keep you from being hurt. Would you just talk with me about what you did? Let's work it out. We're ready to forgive. All you have to do is come with a repentant heart. Isn't that right? Isn't that what earthly fathers should do? Because that's what our heavenly father does. Amen. I'm so glad that he does it that way. I, I fear the hammer of God. There is the hammer of God. There is the judgment of God. But that's not his personality as a father. You know, I like it over there in Isaiah uh, chapter 2, I believe it is. I might be wrong, but it says, uh, you know, come now, saith the Lord. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you will be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Let me show you how to live in my abundant life. I'm trying to get you to avoid these things because it'll bring a curse on your life. And I do not want that because I am a loving heavenly father. Earthly fathers should follow suit and set the example. And here's one of the main reasons why. Your children will perceive God. Their image of God will be constructed by the things that you show them as an earthly father. If you're a good earthly father, they'll look at you and say, you know, my father is just like God, only God likes me a little bit more than my dad. <laughs> Isn't that the image you want them to have of your heavenly father? He's a wonderful heavenly father, and my dad is just like him. Now, sad to say, many of us did not have that experience. And so our perception of God was warped because of our fathers. They just didn't know any better in some cases. In some cases, it was just the devil working through them to pervert your vision of the heavenly father. But I'm here to tell you, he has the heart of a father because he was the original father. He invented fatherhood. He knows how to do it. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am not following my notes at all. I'm just letting you know. I'm, I'm four-wheeling this morning. God's heart toward his family was not to condemn, but to restore. So he went immediately into restoration mode in order to rescue the world's first family. 
That's because if you look deep into the heart of God, you'll find the heart of a father. So if you keep reading in Genesis chapter 3, you find that the Father God had already planned for mankind's fall from grace. And he immediately put into motion the plan that he had devised to rescue his family from destruction. Would you read with me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14? Let's continue reading Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that word there means warfare. I will put warfare between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God cursed the devil and prophesied that the day would come when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the devil. Amen for that. And 4,000 years later, that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus Christ defeated the devil and paid the price for the eternal redemption of all mankind. Glory, hallelujah. Verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, very significant. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So even though Adam and Eve and the earth were cursed because of sin, God put this plan in motion to try and help them out of their dilemma. And the first thing he did is he made clothes for them out of animals that had to be slain and their blood had to be shed, which is a type of the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ to come. Amen? He covered them with much better clothes than fig leaves, animal skins. Amen? And he shed blood to do it. Some innocent animals had to die so that they could live and bear up under the elements after they were made to leave the garden. Amen. All right, let me show you the fulfillment of that type in the New Testament. It's a little obscure scripture. Most of you probably never heard of it. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the part most people forget. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Again, as we saw in the beginning, in Genesis, God was not looking to condemn mankind, but was passionate about the restoration of mankind. So much so that he gave his only begotten son to save the world from destruction. Amen. 
Amen. That's because he was the original father and he has the heart of a father. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be reading from verse 9 through 11. Matthew 7, verse 9 through 11. I want to shift for just a minute about saving your family, being willing to give your life for your family, to just providing for your family, both physically and spiritually. Matthew 7, verse 9 through 11, these are the words of Jesus. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Listen, to a hungry child, a stone is worthless, but bread he can eat. Verse 10 says, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If your son is hungry, you're not going to give him something that bites back. Amen. Verse 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here, Jesus is making the case that if earthly fathers want to meet the basic physical needs of their children, how much more does your heavenly father want to meet the basic physical needs of his children? Amen. You know, another way to look at it is this. Since God made man in his own image, earthly fathers naturally gravitate toward caring for their children the way that God does. In other words, the model of the heavenly father is one that earthly fathers tend to follow because that's the way that God made them. Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. This is Luke's version of the same passage that we just read, but he gives us a little bit more information. He brings both the natural and the spiritual into, into focus here. Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? We've already said, no, that would be ridiculous. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Of course not. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Absolutely not. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So see, Luke brings in this spiritual dimension here. Because we were made like our heavenly father, earthly fathers want to meet the basic physical needs of our families, but we also want to meet the basic spiritual needs of our families. Because that's the way God made us. Amen. Because good fathers model their heavenly father and have a heart of a father. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. So, let me wrap this up by sharing some statistics on the impact of fatherless homes. They'll be quite shocking to you, but you need to hear this. I'm going to have to bring you down before I can bring you up. Amen? So just prepare yourself. These statistics are from the Census Bureau, which is a secular source. You know, not a spiritual source. But even these statistics point out the glaring need for fathers in fatherless homes and the devastating consequences of fatherless homes. Okay, so I want to read to you the statement by the U.S. Census Bureau, and it's one year old, but I doubt that these statistics have changed much. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, 
more than one in four live without a father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. This is not Barna. This is not spiritual sources here. This is the U.S. Census Bureau. They're acknowledging the glaring need for fathers and that most of the social ills facing America today can be pointed to the root cause of fatherless families. Amen. I myself was raised with two brothers by a single mom, and I can tell you it was tough. It was tough. She worked two jobs, saw us through high school. All of us had an opportunity to go to college, get four-year degrees, because my mom worked hard to take care of us without a father in the home. So I do know what it's like. Amen. Listen to some of these devastating statistics. Children without fathers in the home are four times as likely to live in poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, twice as likely to suffer infant mortality, twice as likely to suffer obesity, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to commit crime, more likely to go to prison. All I got to say is, wow, those are devastating statistics. So with all these devastating statistics in mind, let me leave you with this. Fathers, set the example. Stay with and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Don't seek the love of another. Love your families. Love your wives. Love your children with the heart of the Father God. Be intentional and pursue relationship with each of them, with your wife first and then with your children. Protect, honor, and fight for your families. Single moms and others leading non-traditional families, trust God to be a father to the fatherless and help your children overcome these devastating statistics. Raise them in church and, and make it your life's priority to pass on a spiritual legacy to your children. I tell you, as I get older, I get more and more mindful of my responsibility to pass on a legacy to the next generation. Psalm 71, David says, listen, when I'm old and gray-headed, don't take me out of this world until I've had a chance to demonstrate to the next generation the power of God. That is my motto. That is my driving force these days in my life. I want a spiritual legacy. I don't want to be forgotten without somebody saying he was a man of God and he passed it down to his children and his children's children. Amen. So pass on a spiritual legacy to your children, one that they will pass on to their children. Listen, the lives of future generations depend on it. Really, the future of this planet depends on it. So speaking of future generations and passing on a spiritual legacy to the next generation, it is time to lift you up now. It is time for a baby dedication. Amen. It's time to formally welcome our granddaughter, Luna and Savu to our church family. Amen. All right. Thomas and Steph, 
Please come forward with little Luna and the rest of the family. I'll give you a few minutes. She may sleep through this, but we're going to dedicate her nevertheless. Amen. All right, if you would, uh, just introduce the members of your family. Some people here don't know, actually. All right, if you all don't know me, my name is Thomas Savu, and uh, this is my wife, Stephanie Savu. This is our oldest, Ryder. Um, Ryder Grant Savu, he's eight years old. This is our middle daughter, Stella Savu. Uh, she is almost six years old in just a couple days. Just a couple days. <clears throat> and our youngest, a little sweet baby, seven months old, is uh, Luna. Uh, she was born in November. And uh, <clears throat> she was, if anyone doesn't know, but she was actually a gift from the Lord himself. Okay, for those who don't know, um, without crying, I'm, I'll try to be professional about this. Okay, so um, me and Stephanie, uh, we had a little trouble uh, conceiving a baby. Well, excuse me, we, we did conceive a baby, but um, through the trials of pregnancy, we lost two babies. Um, it was a really hard time, but um, one night, uh, it was on her mind and it was on mine. I had a dream that night that I reached my hand through the clouds all the way up to heaven. <clears throat> and the Lord gave me a baby. And I brought <coughs> I brought the baby down and I told her about this dream. And she is such a blessing. She is so loved. Four weeks later, we found out we were having Luna. <laughs> <laughs> God knows how to get it done. Amen. Hallelujah. You could sit down for a second. I'm going to talk just for a minute about the concept of baby, baby dedications. You know, it's been a really wonderful weekend for us here. On Friday, Ryder and Stella were baptized at Wrightsville Beach. And, and then uh, Stella's birthday party was yesterday. And now we're dedicating Luna. And the hits just keep on coming. It's awesome. All right. First of all, the baby dedication ceremonies that Trish and I have always been a part of are different from what you might find in a denominational church. It's not a christening ceremony like some denominations do, and we're not assigning godparents this morning. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily as long as you understand that all babies born on this planet, when they come of age, will have to make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for them to be born again, for them to be saved. Okay? And I believe, we teach, you should be baptized by full immersion as soon as possible after you make a confession of faith. Amen. Now listen, baptism is not necessary for salvation. That's not what we teach. But it is a command of the Lord that needs to be obeyed. Amen. You know, when I grew up in the Episcopal Church, I was christened when I was a child. I was confirmed when I was 12. I got saved and filled with the Spirit when I was 17. And it was 10 years later after I was flying for the Marine Corps that the Lord said to me, when are you going to get baptized? And so I asked uh, our pastor there in Corpus Christi, Texas, if I could be. No, wait a minute. It was before we went to Corpus Christi. It was in North Carolina. We asked Pastor Sidney Epperson because we were going to a spirit-filled Methodist church. How about that, folks? 
And I got baptized in a swimming pool, and she got baptized in Corpus Christi at Faith Temple Assembly of God. Anyway, praise the Lord. That was a rabbit path, but a good one. So while children are young and innocent before God, the responsibility shifts to the parents to raise them in a godly home with godly values. Isn't that right? To teach them the gospel as soon as they're able to understand it and give them every opportunity to make a decision for the Lord when they come of age. I believe this responsibility given to parents is best summed up by the following Bible passage. Would you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 and 7? This is the last scripture we will read. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Now, this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel before they're crossing the Jordan to go and conquer the promised land. And he tells them this. It's very, very awesome. It's from the Hebrew prayer, the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 5. I'm sorry, I told you wrong. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Pretty comprehensive. Amen. Teach your children to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And teach them to make the Word of God the center of their life, not just a part of their life. Amen. All right, so you guys can stand. I got some questions, and if you agree, the answer should be we will. All right. Thomas and Stephanie, will you endeavor to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and teach little Luna to do the same? Will you endeavor to make the Word of God more than just a part of your lives, but the center of your lives, and teach little Luna to do the same? Ryder and Stella and the rest of the congregation, will you help this family fulfill that pledge that they just made? All right. So let's rise and pray as we dedicate Luna and Savu to the Father God. All right, bow your head. Pray with me. Father God, we believe that Thomas and Stephanie will raise little Luna in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. We believe she will come to know Jesus at a very early age. By faith, Lord, like Hannah did with the prophet Samuel, we dedicate her to you and to your service for the rest of her life. We declare that she will not miss her destiny. She will become a mighty woman of God. She will become a living testimony to the saving power of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, The Heart of a Father. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship, and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.